Welcome to the Steps Uncertainty Podcast, a four-part series of conversations recorded at the Steps Centre's Politics of Uncertainty Symposium in July 2019. Uncertainty is all around us, but the full depth and breadth of challenges presented by the unknown are rarely fully acknowledged and virtually never embraced. So what kind of methods, behaviours, strategies and responses are needed to deal with different kinds of uncertainty? In this conversation, we'll hear about uncertainty in the areas of migration and security and counter-terrorism. The panel are daughter Thorson, lecturer in Migration and Development at the University of Sussex, and Gabe Mython, Professor of Criminology at the University of Liverpool. The chair is Rose Cairns of the Steps Centre. Gabe, how do the politics of uncertainty affect thinking and practice in your field of study, so around security and terrorism? Okay, well I think there are a number of of different ways in which uncertainty seems to affect um, counter-terrorism regulation in particular. So I think in efforts to reduce uncertainty, to try and quantify the nature of the threat, um, governments are obviously responsible for deploying various preventative modes of, of regulation. Um, so those attempts to reduce uncertainty or to, to quantify the nature of, of the threat uh, tend to involve all sorts of modes of monitoring, regulation, surveillance. So some of these modes are electronic, uh, some of these are, are physical. Um, and this itself, I think, raises some important questions around the politics of uncertainty. So in the first instance, there are a whole host of issues around uh, electronic surveillance, for example. Um, the way in which electronic surveillance um, intended to obviously try and detect people who may be interested in or about to uh, conduct terrorist attacks um, also in the round affects people's rights to privacy. So there are some important conundrums there that need to be unravelled. In relation to policing for example, um, obviously forms of preventative uh, policing in particular which again are designed to um, prevent terrorist attacks or designed to uh, find individuals who may be interested in uh, getting involved in terrorism can also affect, for example, rights to free movement. Mm -hmm. So in the United Kingdom, the uh, Section 44 stop and search legislation um, became a very thorny issue and one of the the big problems there was around the implementation of that legislation. So the the possibility of stopping and searching an individual without having uh, reasonable suspicion. Um, And I think the thing here with with all these forms of legislation is that a form of regulation or legislation or or a mode of policing which is is actually designed as neutral uh, is intended to to reduce uncertainty in theory. When it becomes implemented in in practice, then it can produce all sorts of unintended consequences and and problems and and issues. So in the case of uh, of Section 44 Stop and Search, we we can see from the statistics that certain populations are are uh, suspect populations and other populations are seem to be uh, relatively free of, of being regulated and surveyed. Um, I think there are also problems in terms of management of uncertainty in relation to policies around counter-radicalisation in particular. So the, the PREVENT strategy has been quite a controversial strategy, it's currently under, under review. Um, and again, you have an instance there of a, of a, a set of, of policies and procedures and practices which are, are formally designed to 
to reduce the risk of radicalization. They're, they're designed to attempt to reduce the uncertainty through various modes of, uh, of risk regulation, and in particular modes of, of preventative risk regulation. Uh, and again, in terms of the implementation, um, the neutrality seems to be move towards uh, various forms of, of kind of labeling and stereotyping. So uh, on the one hand, states are empowered to, to reduce the risk, to uh, render the kind of uncertainties visible. On the other hand, some of the modes of intervention associated with PREVENT, in particular the, the 2015 duty guidance, um, have problems in terms of their, their effects. So um, the possibility of um, the way in which people are being surveyed is problematic. Um, the way in which uh, institutions are responsible for reporting individuals who are, are felt to be vulnerable to radicalization. Um, so in some instances that can increase uncertainty and suspicion in particular public contexts. So if you are responsibilizing individuals uh, working in schools or universities or, or youth clubs to identify individuals at risk, um, then if those individuals are, are not particularly well trained, if they are concerned about missing a possibility, um, if they may have particular prejudices or, or biases, again you, you, you end up with a kind of reproduction of a, of a suspect population and obviously um, all the statistics that we have show that, that Muslim minority groups uh, are uh, disproportionately affected uh, in relation to the prevent strategy. So there's some issues there that I think uh, obviously hover around the politics of, of uncertainty. Uh, I think we have to recognise that in terms of governance there's a difficult balance between liberty and security. So um, governments have to make decisions um, and they have to have a balance really in, in relation to the ways and means by which they, they intervene. Um, and that has introduced some problems I think in terms of governance which might be based on a, on a worst case scenario, trying to avoid uh, a large scale terrorist attack. Um, and that can sometimes lead to methods of, of pre-crime and profiling that then produce what we might call iatrogenic effects. So in, in some senses, our attempts to tackle uncertainty, or the state's attempts to tackle uncertainty, can reproduce a kind of law of inverse consequences where um, targeted populations in particular um, are, are prone then to having uh, certain anxieties and, and produ producing further uncertainties about their safety and security and the way in which they're being uh, surveyed. Thanks, that was a, a really great overview. Uh, Daughter, your field is migration and mobility, so do any of these issues that Gabe has just talked about resonate with ways in which politics of uncertainty affect thinking and practice in your field? Yeah, I think picking up on, on the idea of monitoring and regulation uh, brings in the state in a, in, a, in a very strong way that also acts upon uh, migrants uh, and the mobilities that they are undertaking. And with that comes also the perceptions of the state and its ability to govern over population, that is, populations which is really strong within your field of the security and terror and, and, and prevent uh, strategies, but comes out in a completely different way when we're looking at migrants and, and migration regimes or mobility regimes, as they are also talked about. So today, there's, with, the, with the global political economies, really, it's one of, of, of deep structural inequality that really privileges the Western or the view of Western publics uh, and policymakers in relation to mobilities. And that, involve, that involves uh, trying to stop migration, restricting um, the, the possibilities of legal migration for, for quite a lot of people and hardening the border controls. That means that, that the northern states, and it's not only the northern states, it has become more and more globalized, and it means that it's not just 
EU or the or the individual countries within you, uh, Europe or the US. There's also China. There's the Middle East. There's Latin American countries. There are countries in different different parts of the global south that have adopted the same or similar kinds of regimes of mobility that are restricting populations' movement. And one of the things that we're looking at uh, in migration and mobility studies is exactly that. How, how do these regimes of mobility create certainty and uncertainties at the same time? So they create certainties for certain parts of the population in the sense of knowing that the state is acting upon their fear of, of having a wave of migrants coming in. But in that regulation of movement, they are creating in the same step uncertainties for, for the people who would like to, to migrate. And here it comes in to looking at how are, the, how are institutions seen. So the state is in a position to shape the distribution of hope, and hope here is understood as a horizon of opportunity and expectation and possibility. So migrants are, are migrating with the idea of that they will better themselves and their families eventually. And of course, it's also premised on an idea by the states or by the ones who are who are putting up border controls and 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 um, restricting mobilities as a way of that people. It's premised on the idea that people will adhere to to the rules that they're setting. It's also premised on an, an idea of that people are moving into risky journeys because they don't know all the risks they're taking. They don't know better. So if they're informed well enough. It'll create some certainty about how dangerous it is and that will stop them from migrating. And that's one of the key concepts that we are talking about in, in migration studies is that that is not the case because we are up against people's hope for the future. Um, and, and the link between hope and uncertainty, that lies in this future orientation of, of hope, um, of the unknown of the future is becoming a productive space for, for migrants. So they're not going to give up just because of a little bit of risk and so forth. It changes into something else in their experience. It changes into something that is important for, for bettering their lives, for discovering the world, for, for showing uh, how they are, in certain ways, them under, undergirding their masculinities or femininities. So it, in a way, or changing their social roles back home or in the societies where they are. So it, there's a lot more than just the movement involved in, the, in that horizon of hope and the future orientation of their, of their mobilities. At the same time, these restrictive mobility regimes are trying to shrink that hope and, and postpone the achievement of these people by, by putting up border controls. And that brings us back to how we're looking at the state or institutions, formal institutions that can, can issue these border controls. And here we have to look, look at, uh, as a main point, who, who, who are these institutions? We're not just talking about one state, we're talking about several states. We're talking about the states receiving migrants, the states sending migrants, the states, all the states they're moving through that also have an impact of, on, on these migrants' lives as they're not just flying, they're quite often traveling over land and staying in many places mm -hmm. uh, on the way for protracted periods of time. Then we have to look at the more informal institutions such as families, marriage, um, the constitution of gender identities and so forth that are also actually uh, guiding how people, migrants, are thinking about what they can achieve, what they're hoping hoping to achieve, so to speak. 
And and in our discussions with other groups around the, these clusters, I talk about how the connect between fu the future and, and uncertainties. We actually have only talked about this data. We've not talked about all these other institutions that are acting quite a lot on gender, age, race, social class, and that's a bit of a difference that we haven't talked about that. And then the last thing I wanted to say uh, is that talking about hope, uh, it's not a binary with, with despair when we're talking migration. We can talk about hope that is achieved, but we can also talk about hope that is disappointed mm -hmm. without people are thereby falling into despair. Mm -hmm. Thanks. So again, a really interesting overview. I see some parallels when, Gabe, you were talking about unintended consequences of some kind of state actions to either make visible or reduce uncertainty. And then, daughter, you talking then about particular institutions creating certainties and uncertainties at the same time. Um, but it strikes me that, that that kind of creating certainties and uncertainties sounds a lot more deliberate and something actively pursued rather than a framing of unintended consequences. Do you see any kind of parallels or tensions in the ways that you're thinking about these things, uh, Gabe? Um, no, I think I think that would be a fair summation really. Um, I think in some instances we have to think that states may, may, be, may, may be able to gain by the, the reproduction of uncertainty um, and anxiety. So if there are particular state policies which, which need to be pursued, um, one's thinking back now to the 7-7 the bombing. So um, directly after those bombings, then the 21-point plan was, was unveiled that, that I think probably you have to think is already sitting there. So in some senses mm -hmm. that the anxiety around a future terrorist attack can pave the way for, for forms of legislation, for example, that a government may want to introduce ostensibly to, to reduce uncertainty but have all sorts of consequences for civil rights and, and liberties and we know from some of those forms of legislation that, that got passed through and then the uh, declaring of some of those forms of legislation as, as illegal by the European Court um, that there are problems with kind of the use of uncertainty as a, as a, as a political mode of mobilisation. Mm -hmm. um, what would you think are some of the main challenges for academic researchers looking at issues related to uncertainty in, in both of your fields, maybe starting with you, daughter? Yeah, I think one of, one of the real big difficulties is to, to look at how the state is trying to, to regulate and, and people are then choosing or, or, or not to not quite adhere to that. But of course, talking about choice then we bring agency into into the equation and of course not every everybody has the same type of agency and we can talk about that those traveling irregularly uh, and without fake papers uh, perhaps have more difficulties to 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 overcome some of, of the of the barriers than others so, so the choice of circumventing or resisting these regulations set by by by, by others uh, to their individual behavior actually becomes a collective thing because it's a, shared by a lot of people uh, having the same experience and then at the same time to capture and that's a real difficulty in, in mobility studies is to capture the divergences in in in, um, in choice we're not talking about individuals who are equal. We're talking about women, we're talking about men, we're talking about young and older, better educated, less well educated, coming from better backgrounds than others, having more money with them for their journeys. And they're not it's not the same kind of choices. And even if they are sent away on or are going themselves on, on regular migration, even there the choices are made in different ways and they're not so individual as we quite often try to, to theorize. So to think about how people are resisting 
the uncertainties imposed by, by formal institutions, we have to think about how the informal institutions are, are acting upon that agency. Mm. Gabe? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously that we have a duty and a, and a responsibility and we, we have our own professional academic codes of practice. We have our ethical guidelines and, and protocols. So to some extent, um, there are uh, formal protections in place in terms of, of the research that we might do. Um, but I think the problem with uncertainty in particular is it's very difficult to quantify. Uh, it's not it, it's such a tangible concept. It's quite plastic. It's quite stretchy. Um, so I think there are some things that we need to reflect on as social scientists in terms of what might be our lens of looking and the kinds of questions that we might ask. Um, so if we, are, if we are going in there with a kind of, if you like, uncertainty-centric view, um, then that provides a particular lens of looking. So um, how do we find out? How would we ask people about uncertainty or how uncertain they're feeling. Um, if we ask them directly, um, is that akin to basically giving somebody a watch and saying, oh, can you tell me the time, please? Um, so there are some things we need to think about, about the way in which academics may have predetermined categories. Um, and I think we have to think about the conundrum of, of maybe other ways, uh, rather than asking directly to, to kind of uh, think through some of the experiential dimensions of uncertainty. It's very difficult to observe, for example. Um, and I'd say that there's a risk of, of catacresis. There's, a, there's a, a potential risk that we're, you know, misapplying a concept and then and then potentially imposing that on on um, individuals' lived experience. So. Um, what I mean by that is, well, you know, what would be the difference as we observe it uh, between anxiety and uncertainty or insecurity and uncertainty? So mm. I think we've some, some difficult questions to ask about how we're, we're seeing the world and, and the ways in which we look for uncertainties and how uh, assured we can be when we, when we use the concept of uncertainty to, to describe human experience. Mm -hmm. I'd like to add to that in the sense of if we just go in and look at how we can beat around the bush to ask questions to the people we, are, we have in mind as our, our research participants, then we might also miss out that the insecurities or uncertainties that, they are, that we are asking about, that we are researching, actually also have a variety of knock-on effects of people further out in, in their social networks that we don't even discover because we are so busy finding out how they're living with, with their uncertainties and how they are acting as mm -hmm. individuals. So I, I think that adds to, to, to the methodological conundrum uh, of, of research on uncertainty, but also makes it very interesting because it, it's a challenge of, of thinking how far we can go with it. Mm. Thanks. Do you think it's helpful to make a, a distinction between forms of uncertainty that are constraining in some ways produced by states or those that are more enabling um, so perhaps hope might be an example of something that could be it, uncertainty is a, a part of hope but that could be generative in terms of uh, without romanticizing it in terms of uh, uh, stimulating people to move in particular directions or, or to seek a better life or, or I'm not sure whether that, or, whether or, that even, uh, or even to stay where they, are. Stay they are if yeah. the hope is, is disappointed of, of not going further they might find other solutions they might also try different directions or they might continue trying because they, they orient their hope towards a specific elsewhere so that's really difficult to say is the interplay between constraining and enabling at the same time because that shift the temporality comes into that so what might seem as enabling at one point might be uh, constraining at another point and vice versa so, so I think it's very difficult to to 
to say one or the other, but rather to look at to look at how it goes together or how it complements each other is maybe more more interesting, at least in in the in the field of mobility studies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gabe, do you have any thoughts on that that distinction or is it? Yes, I think it's le it's less difficult to to think things through in, in the way the daughter has there in relation to to counterterrorism. Uh, I think you can say that in some senses the uncertainty. Uh, can be generative of, of, of positive effects. So um, one example, some research that I conducted with colleagues um, Fatima Khan and, and Sandra Walklake where we were interested in um, the implications of counter-terrorism regulation on young British Pakistanis and of course they've been subjected to a, a climate of suspicion, a climate of uncertainty and anxiety, um, various, um, for many of them, various kind of visible forms and tangible forms of Islamophobia. Um, but what we found, I think, was that there's, uh, in the attempts to deflect and resist labelling, there, there can be some real positive reinforcing of Muslim identities, for example, and a, a stronger and deeper commitment to Islam. So there's a kind of unintended positive side effect of the, the production of uncertainty. Interesting. Um, thank you very much, both of you, for taking part. Do you have any last final thoughts on uncertainty and why it matters in your field? Does it matter in your field? Should it be? Should we think about it and talk about it? I'm not sure if we should. It, it, it works very well to, to research about, but it's, it's very coming together with with vulnerability, contingency. It really depends on the context. And here again, the context is really, really very important in, in our field, uh, also of, of the kind of uncertainties that are, are happening, but also with the kind of words that they're overlapping with. And of course, we know that as soon as we talk about female migrants, vulnerability is coming up much more often, but it's not necessarily the case that they're more vulnerable than men are. But in, in the political language or policy making language, they're very often talked about as vulnerable. Uh, so in that sense, talking about uncertainty can maybe help moving away from that kind of victimizing uh, mm -hmm. uh, kind of discourse about women but in other in other sense, senses it might be quite useful to talk about vulnerability so it, again it's really context specific mm. okay yeah, I would just echo that. I think that's quite important. I think um, we have to make a decision about whether we are comfortable using various terms and phrases and concepts interchangeably. So concepts of uncertainty with insecurity and risk in particular, or, or whether we need to be very precise about how we're defining those things. So I think that's just a question which is as yet unresolved and, and needs to be unraveled and thought about in the course of research design. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For the other episodes in this series and more resources on uncertainty, visit steps-centre.org slash uncertainty.